Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative to this guy for wisdom. Well, the NYPD have apprehended the suspect, the shooter in the subway, Brooklyn subway massacre. Now, the FBI noticeably did not bring him in. It was the NYPD. So we should all be very thankful to the NYPD for doing their job and bringing this suspect in. The FBI, I can't blame them. I cannot blame them. You know, they do not have the resources to find suspects and track suspects like this, even though they've been on their radar since 2019, even though they suspected, because, look, the FBI has been too busy being assigned by the Democratic Party to persecute Donald Trump, any of his allies, any Trump supporters. They're too busy chasing down old grandmas, people who are walking around in the Capitol building taking photos, You know, things like that. Staging plots. Staging kidnapping plots. Planning kidnapping plots of Governor Whitmer in Michigan to make the Republicans look bad. So, you know, whatever. What do you expect from the FBI? You know, they they no longer, by the way, their job description is no longer to protect and defend innocent American citizens. No, no, no. They are a blunt instrument of the left that do the bidding of the left to stage, persecute, go after the political opposition of the Democratic Party. That's the truth. I originally didn't want to talk about this story very much, but some things are on my mind that I think are relevant. And I am going to, well, I'm not going to blow a gasket. I'm going to remain calm. I'm going to deliver the message. But uh, liberals out there are going to blow their gaskets when they listen to me talk about them because... You know who owns the Brooklyn Subway Massacre? You know who, who really bears responsibility? Yes, 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 yes. The shooter, absolutely. He pulls pulled the trigger. But uh, there are a lot of contributing influences to his indoctrination, to him being incited to violence, to exacerbating his mental illness. How did he get to this point? The Democratic Party has blood on their hands again. And I'll stand by that. And by the end of my explanation, everyone will be saying, Drew, okay, fine. You're right. You're right. You know, it sounded a little bit cruel. We don't want to go down that road. But yes, alas, we have to. And I will. Because I am the fearless leader of our current, current counterculture movement. Um, Before I get into this shooter, I mean, you know, Joe Biden... Uh, He got our service members murdered in his botched withdrawal of Afghanistan. He killed innocent Afghani civilians in response and then tried to pretend that he was a big tough guy. And it was a, uh, you know, he he brought the ISIS-K planners to justice and it turned out it was a bunch of innocent Afghan civilians. We have Ukrainians and Russians who were dead because of his failed foreign policy. Uh, I've got a story coming up later about... uh, well, the AP, of all places, printed it, about the death and destruction, suicides, substance abuse that is a result of what? Democratic Party policies shutting down the economy. The body counts of the Democratic Party 
and their media propagandists that spew hatred and filth and incite people to violence, well, that body count is going up every day. And look, I, I am sick and tired. I got to tell you, I am sick and tired of news stories about mass shootings. I'm sick and, sick and tired of, of stories about innocent Americans being murdered in the street, robbed in the street, killed by lunatics. This should not be taking place in America. And it's time we actually address the root cause. And the root cause is not guns in the United States of America. El Salvador, by the way, for example, has the highest homicide rate in the world. And El Salvador, nationally, in the entire country, has the kind of restrictive gun policies that the Democratic Party wants to force on Americans nationally here at home. So how does that work? And before I get into this again, what happened in Brooklyn and my thoughts on it, just the day before this shooting took place in the Brooklyn subway, Joe Biden was out there giving a speech, talking about he how he's going to Rain in ghost guns. Now, the guy who, who committed the murders in the subway, he didn't use a ghost gun, and I'll get into what that is later, but he didn't use a ghost gun. He used a Glock, a Glock, and I doubt he obtained it legally because you know what? People who commit murder aren't obeying the laws, are they? We already have laws on the books to prevent shootings, don't we? It's illegal to murder. But they want to come after the guns and not look at the root cause. Do you know there are new, more killings, murders by knife than there are by rifles in the, in the United States every, every year? There are also more deaths by drunk drivers every year. That's murder. People are killed in drunk driving accidents by drunk drivers who plow into them or kill their passengers inside. What's the solution, by the way, with the drunk driving situation? It's already illegal to drive drunk. Shouldn't we be worried about saving the lives, innocent lives lost because of drunk drivers? Should we go back to a prohibition era in which we ban alcohol? Or should we just ban cars completely? Because that's what they suggest with, with, with gun violence. Well, you know, I mean, it's illegal to murder, but, you know, if we didn't have these guns, didn't have these guns, uh, you know, none of this would happen. I mean, I mean, unless it's Waukesha and the BLM activist there, Daryl Brooks, uses his SUV to plow through a crowd of Christmas paraders. I'm just sick of this. And before you say, Drew, you can't blame this on Democrats. Yes, I can. And I'll actually give evidence. Do you remember in the aftermath of the Benghazi attack? Do we want to go back to that era? September 11th, 2012. That was uh, the famous movie was made about that as well, about Benghazi. But anyway, so Benghazi, right? It was a terror attack on, well, U.S. Ambassador Christopher Stevens. He was one of the murdered individuals in that terrorist attack. They laid siege to, uh, to our diplomatic compound there. They set it ablaze, and then a firefight ensued. And Obama and Clinton... After the event took place, or even during it, they blamed that attack on a video. Do you remember this? His name was Nakula. He was some Coptic Christian. He had this short video out there no one had even ever heard of, just like no one's ever heard of ghost guns for the most part, but they're blaming ghost guns on murdering everybody in the country. Nonetheless, so he had this short video that was mocking 
the Prophet Muhammad. You can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, so he he made this video mocking Muhammad. And uh, Obama and Clinton come out and say, you know, uh, this was a, a response to that video. This guy is responsible. He has blood. They went and arrested this guy. They went and arrested him. Arrested him for basically being responsible for this terror attack because of a video that no one had ever heard of. And then, of course, later, after the damage was done and they arrested the guy, Obama and Clinton, they, they acknowledged that the attack was actually an organized assault by Al-Qaeda-linked terrorists, of course. But anyway, Hillary Clinton lied. You know, her emails, she was out there in public saying, well, you know, um, th- this attack, uh, this video is to blame. But she knew from the beginning that it was a pre-planned Al-Qaeda terrorist attack. It didn't have anything to do with this internet video, but it didn't stop her from lying to cover her tracks. In fact, so, I, you know, at 10.08 p.m., the night of the attack, that's when Clinton issued her statement, and she blamed the attack on, I believe the quote was, inflammatory material posted on the internet. No mention of terrorism, no mention of Al-Qaeda. And then an hour later, 11.12 p.m., she emails her daughter Chelsea, right? Uh, Two of our officers, Chelsea, were killed in Benghazi by an Al-Qaeda-like group. Interesting. An hour later, she's telling Chelsea that Al-Qaeda is responsible, but an hour before, she was telling the the media and the American people that, well, this video, this video made this spontaneous attack happen. Anyway, so I don't have any sympathy for these people. Uh, So this guy, uh, what's it, Frank James, who's been uh, apprehended now, Frank James, who killed all those people in the subway, well, apparently, not only was he on the FBI's radar back in 2019, and then they just did a couple interviews with him, he said he wasn't dangerous, I guess, and they said, okay, we're going to move on to the grandmas that support the MAGA movement. Well, in a March 2022 video, right? So this is, this is last month, uploaded to YouTube. Frank James, the killer, he expressed the hope in the video that humanity would be exterminated because of the damage people have done to the environment. Now, who are the kooks out there that are talking repeatedly about how climate change is an imminent threat to our civilization as we know it? Who is riling people up, promoting this fear that the world as we know it could come to an end crashing down around us tomorrow if we don't abandon fossil fuels? In another video... James said, Mr. Mayor, I'm a victim of your mental health program. I'm 63 now, full of hate, full of anger, and full of bitterness. Now, I want to stop there because I am not surprised that an attack like this took place. Given what we know about the dangerous environment out there that is being created, this false reality, and a true reality for people who succumb to the filth and the vile and the venom that comes from the Democrat propagandist media out there, this guy's saying he's full of hate, full of anger, full of bitterness. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Which party, which media is constantly creating hatred, creating anger, creating bitter people? Who is the party out there? Who is the media that is constantly telling people that we have a class war, we have a race war in America? 
Who is it that's telling these people you're victims and there's nothing you can do because the system's against you? Only the Democratic Party, only we can save you, even though we are actually responsible for what's taking place. It's their policies that are contributing to more and more of this. What do you think is going to happen going down the road? We had the inflation report come out, coincidentally, on the same day that the shooting took place. Now, based on the current way they measure things, inflation is over 8%. Over 8%. But most people agree if we went back and used the same criteria to, to measure inflation as we did back in the 80s, for example, it's closer to 20%. And if you start looking at your bills and analyzing where your money is going, how much how many fewer dollars you have this year over last year at the same time based on same purchases, it actually is closer to about 20%. And this administration is out there lying. I've never seen lies like this, and they lie all the time, but blaming the inflation on Putin. Putin's inflation. Everything's Putin's fault. It's an abject lie. But they think the American people are stupid. But somebody like Frank James who is mentally ill, who is struggling, well, he is the prime candidate to take in this psychotic information. Be mad all the time. Be riled up. Be hateful. Of course it leads here. So I'm not surprised this took place. So James, he's also ranted on social media against Jews. He's posted hatred of Donald Trump. Ooh, surprise. And in support of Black Lives Matter and Black nationalism. Now, this no one wants to talk about. This Black Lives Matter movement, black nationalism, this targeting of the black community in particular to incite them to absolute hatred, bitterness, anger. And they should be angry. They might have a right to be hateful, but their hate is being targeted at the wrong people because I'm just going to use James as an example. How did a man like this get to a point like this? He was not born with a Glock in his hand, determined to go into a Brooklyn subway and carry out this mass shooting attack. Things happened in his life that affected him and brought him to this point. Now, he is not the victim here. Don't mistake me. But it's important to talk about it from the perspective of how could we have prevented this? How could this have been prevented? Now, forget the fact that the FBI dropped the ball as they always do. I just want to look at life circumstances. How could society have improved this man's life? What are things that could have been avoided? Could we, do we have control over? They could have prevented this man from getting to a place where he says he's 63 and he's full of hate, full of anger and full of bitterness. Well, if he didn't listen to Democrats and if he didn't listen to the propaganda on the lamestream drive-by media, he might not have been there. This is a guy who appeared to be a fan of communism, for example, Fidel Castro. And he was even a fan of CNN's Don Lemon. In a video, he expressed disappointment, for example, that Justice Ketan G. Jackson is married to a white man. This guy was filled with racism, filled with hatred. On social media, he claimed that he had experiences in this uh, mental health facility that would make him go get a gun and shh and begin shooting mother effers. What do you expect? There are people out there that are suffering, and they're going to suffer more and more from inflation, from gas prices. They're going to become more desperate. 
And everyone has the capacity to lose their mind here, to suffer from mental illness. For some, it's more genetic than others, but for someone that's already got some kind of mental illness, whether it's in their family or that they already suffer from it, anxiety, things that everyone experiences, but they get pushed beyond a certain point. And do you think the media is going to take any responsibility for this? Before I continue with that, do you remember, let's revisit a couple of other things. Remember uh, Steve Scalise, the congressman? He was shot, nearly died, at the congressional baseball practice with Republicans. And the guy who shot him was a a big Bernie guy and walked over, as a matter of fact, to then uh, Congressman DeSantis and somebody else, another Republican, and asked, is this field all Republicans? And the guy went and opened fire on him. I'm just telling you that this language, the situation, it is leading to more and more violence. And the problem is not gun control. It's not guns out there. It is what we're teaching people. And the Democrats want more and more of this. Look at the critical race theory, teaching young children starting early. Well, if you're black, you're a perpetual victim. If you're white, well, you're privileged. You got to pay your, for your sin, the sins of your, of your fathers and mothers. They continually talk about how terrible this country is, how evil it is, systemic oppression. They are inciting people to violence. Do you know what I think of? When I look out here at the landscape of this rise in mental illness, for example, these episodes of horrific, violent acts against innocent American people, Well, I think about my experience being with friends or family as they struggled in different rehab facilities. Now, they had issues, whether it was drug abuse, alcohol abuse, whatever it was, they had an issue. And when you're in those facilities, the goal, of course, is to rehabilitate, to bring people who have a mental health problem or an addiction and repair them. Give them hope. Give them a reason to live. Give them optimism. Show them love and support. And you know what the Democratic Party and the propagandist media are? They're the anti-rehabbers. They are mental illness inducers, enablers, as opposed to rehabbers. Now, if I was president of the United States... I would be out there after this episode encouraging Americans to take a look in the mirror and say, we have an issue here with violence. I would point to the things that I just mentioned before about this guy being filled with hatred and saying, look, we are all Americans. We live in the greatest nation in the history of mankind. No place is perfect, but this is the most perfect country that's ever existed. And we need to move forward and we need to do so together, hand in hand. We need to look at what unites us, not what divides us. And right now, we need to conquer inflation. We need to conquer gas prices because these things do not discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're a member of the alphabet community, if you're black, if you're Jewish, if you're brown, if you're white. All of us are suffering equally because these challenges don't discriminate. We need to come together. We need to conquer this as Americans as only we can. We need to deal with mental illness in this country. We need to heal. 
But that's not what the Democrats do. They claim they're going to bring us together, unite us, heal us. That's what Joe Biden says, right? But what are they actually doing in practicality, in practice? The opposite. They're dividing us further. They're stirring up hatred. They're ripping open scabs. Creating hatred and animosity everywhere they can. They're bringing illegals across the border. They're creating issues. They're exacerbating issues. I mean, Joy Reid and the Democrats actually think that we need more stimulus money to combat inflation. Well, you know, prices have gone up, and it's caused, of course, because we printed money and gave out stimulus checks. Even the San Francisco Reserve Bank can point to the exact moment that took place, and it coincided with the last Joe Biden stimulus checks. But no, 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 let's print more money and make inflation worse and give people more stimulus checks. These people are insidious. Now, the average Democrat voter out there doesn't know. They still believe this lie that the Democratic Party is the best and they have the best interests and the best intentions. And they've got to, you know, you know, they're being prevented from doing what they need to do to help us because of the dastardly Republicans. But those that are actually making these policy calls, implementing these policies, those that are in the Democratic Party themselves, who are policymakers and politicians, they know exactly what they're doing and they are insidious. They're doing this on purpose. It's by design, and it's only going to get worse. Um, one more thing I want to talk about with this thing. If I was talking about Daryl Brooks, the BLM supporter that ran over a bunch of people in his SUV at that Christmas parade in Waukesha. Well, you know, after that event took place, another BLM militant, uh, self, self-described, I believe, uh, militant supporter of BLM, he came out and he celebrated the murders, essentially, as the beginning of a revolution. Do you hear what's out there? We are being told every day that Republicans, January 6th, Trump supporters, white people, concerned parents that go and yell at the school board at school board meetings who are trying to destroy their children while they're domestic terrorists. And Merrick Garland is taking action to label them as domestic terrorists. White supremacy, the greatest threat to our republic, to our country since the Civil War. That's a lie. Look at what this BLM movement has produced. A BLM supporter who is coming out and feels free to say, well, you know, this is a revolution. This is in response to the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, him being found not guilty. Because what happened? The media lied to BLM, to the American public, and said that Kyle Rittenhouse killed a bunch of black people. He was a white supremacist, but he didn't kill any black people. It was a bunch of Antifa types, a bunch of nutjobs who were threatening his life, and in self-defense, he He shot them, defending himself. But if this guy was right about Daryl Brooks and Daryl Brooks carried out this this obscene act of mass murder with his SUV, if he did it because it was a response to the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, Kyle Rittenhouse being found not guilty, well, that was based on a lie that the media was telling. And they know what they're doing. And BLM, by the way, did you hear about them? These Speaking of victims and the worst people, Amongst us. I told you a few episodes ago about how BLM had used the organization that is, the founders, the people in charge of the money. They'd bought a $6 million house in Los Angeles. Now, this comes after Patrice Cullors, by the way. She was one of the co-founders of BLM. She uh, assembled a, a, a small real estate uh, empire worth $3.4 million. She bought four houses herself with the BLM money, the donations. Well, now, BLM is upset, including Patrice Cullors, 
because New York Magazine broke the story. They broke the story that the property that BLM bought for themselves, they paid $6 million in cash back in October of 2020. And they were with funds that had been donated to the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. And so they're all upset. They're blaming the media for the outrage that's being aimed at them. It's not, they didn't do anything wrong, right? I mean, they're like the politicians in D.C. They're beyond reproach. Don't question us. Even though they just took advantage and picked people's pockets. Um, so anyway, they're livid. They're livid. And they're, uh, they're blaming the media saying, uh, here's a quote, BLM. They say, we know narratives like this. Narratives like this would be, you know, they bought the six million house. You know, people, they, they didn't want people to find out about this. So now this is what they say. We know narratives like this cause harm to organizers doing brilliant work across the country. And these reports do not reflect the totality of the movement. One of the tweets from the organization read, we apologize for the distress this has caused to our supporters and those who work in service of black liberation daily. These people talk like they're on plantations. And the only plantations they may find themselves on are the schools that Democrats run, preventing them from having school choice, for example. And the Democrat Party wants to tell these people, black people, well, you don't have a chance. Give up. Just fight. Give us money. Help us buy our homes and we'll take care of you. You can't do anything yourself. Don't get educated. Don't go to school. Just be a victim. Be a victim. That's the only way. That's the only thing you can do. Be angry. Be upset. Don't take action to improve your life. Everyone's against you. Everyone's against you. So BLM, by the way, they attempted to justify the purchase of this mansion. You know what they said? They said this was made, the $6 million house purchase was made to encourage black creativity. The property was supposed to be a space for black folks to share their gifts with the world and hone their crafts as we see it. What a crock of crap. Yeah, it was a black creative space for the founders who stole money and took advantage of a bunch of indoctrinated, ignorant people who believed they were part of a movement that mattered, a movement that was doing good, and it wasn't doing anything. It was just a, like Democrat politicians. Just creating a problem, pointing to a problem, and using it to take advantage of people who actually believe in the cause. Um, Patrice Cullors, I think this is a quote from her. The fact that a reputable publication would allow a reporter with a proven and very public bias against me and other black leaders to write a piece filled with misinformation, innuendo, and incendiary opinions is disheartening and unacceptable. Kohler's called the report a despicable abuse of a platform that's intended to provide truthful information to the public. Do you see what's happening here? This is straight out of the Democratic Party playbook, the tyrannical leftist playbook. They don't want the truth to be out there because the truth is damning for them. So now she's accusing them of misinformation, even though it's not misinformation at all. $60 million, by the way, of the $90 million this organization raised is still unaccounted for. This was just nothing more than a shakedown. But the message is clear. These founders can do whatever they want. And all you little donors and all you people out there, how dare you question us? You're a bunch of racists if you do so. Bunch of racists if you do so. But let's move into some more light-hearted stories here and have a little fun for a moment. Unfortunately, Mike Wallace, sorry, the son of Mike Wallace, Chris Wallace, who was at Fox News for 18 years and made big waves, of course, when he left Fox to go over to CNN Plus. Uh, 
Well, he's white. Uh, he can't claim to pull the race card for the reasons that he's a loser over there. And no one is tuning in. It is so bad over there. I don't know if you heard this, but I guess they launched CNN Plus, uh, gosh, a couple of weeks ago. And anyway, in the first two weeks, since well, since it since its launch in the first two weeks anyway, they 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 had fewer than ten thousand people watching the CNN Plus platform on a daily basis. They launched on March 29th. Yeah, okay. So since then, anyway, they 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 can't get more than ten thousand. They can't even get ten thousand people to watch CNN Plus every day. And so this is humiliating for Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace is another victim. Another guy who's a liar. You know, when he when he when he left Fox News at first, you know, he had nothing but but positive things to say about how they never stood in his way. They didn't oppose any guests he wanted to have on. They didn't censor him in any way. He could say whatever he wanted to. And there's so much hubris he's revealing now. You know, the viewers that he had at Fox, he didn't have them because uh, he would, you know, you know, few people, few people. Let me say it this way. Chris Wallace was the beneficiary of the Fox News audience. Chris Wallace wasn't supremely talented. He wasn't doing anything right. In fact, his ratings weren't anywhere near what, you know, Sean Hannity's at his high point was, or certainly Tucker Carlson. He was on a more conservative, leaning news network. Now, they're not super conservative all the time, but the audience is. Fox News is where people who don't want to listen to the garbage and propaganda from the lamestream media go. Because that, for a long time, was their only alternative. Now you have Newsmax, you have other programming out there that is giving people options. But for a long time, and especially in Chris Wallace's heyday, those things didn't exist. So he was the beneficiary of the Fox News viewership. Now, he was like the the, the lesser of all the evils, right? I mean, do you want to listen to Don Lemon or do you want to listen to Chris Wallace? I mean, he, he was doing a Sunday show at the end, and... Whatever his time slot was, it's, it's well, do I want to watch Chris Wallace if I want to watch the news or do I want to watch, you know, whatever the propagandist equivalent is at one of the other networks. So people would watch Chris Wallace. It was because of the time slot and because of Fox News, not because of him. And people were saying, well, why did Wallace leave? Was it greed? I, I don't think it was greed. The guy's wealthy. He's got money. I mean, maybe he could have been incentivized a little bit by, by the payday. But obviously the payday is not doing it for him because the contract set in. It's not based on how many viewers he's bringing over. And he's outraged. He's upset. Now he's dumping on them. Um, this is a thin-skinned guy. You know, he's, he said recently, you know, I'm fine with opinion, conservative opinion, liberal opinion. But when people start to question the truth, I found that unsustainable. He's talking about the 2020 election, questioning that, and January 6th, questioning that being an insurrection. So he's not tolerant. He's not fine with conservative opinion, liberal opinion. He's only fine with his own opinion. People start to question the truth. No, they question the lie, the propagandist narrative, and he calls that questioning the truth. You see, these people believe they're infallible, like the Pope of the Catholic Church. Well, I speak only the truth, only the truth, and if you question me, how dare you? There's something wrong with you. So apparently he's having fits over there daily on his show at CNN Plus. He's having his his staff scour to see how many promotional spots he's getting because he's looking to blame CNN Plus. 
He's looking to blame a lack of promotion, anything but himself. What he doesn't realize is he's not a popular guy. He was lucky to be on Fox News, and he's not as awesome as he thinks he is. He doesn't have the following he thought he did, and he's getting hit in the face with reality. And just like the BLM people, just like everyone out there who's a Democrat, they believe they're victims. They don't accept responsibility for anything. He's not going to look to change things that he's doing to improve his show and grow his audience. He's just fine. He's doing everything right. There's no introspection. There's no looking in the mirror and saying, oh my gosh, what's the lesson I can take from this? He's not doing any of that. He's just looking to place blame. He's dumping on Fox News like a coward, like a man without any virtue. And that's it. That's it. Um, what story should I tell you about next in our limited time together? You know, to circle back here, no, no, let's stick with the media for a second. So you got Rachel Maddow, right? In February, I believe it was, she took her hiatus from the network to go uh, help produce, I think it was. Ben Stiller was directing the movie, I think. It was based on some book she'd written. So she took a hiatus. She's developing her own podcast now, apparently. So she was gone for what? February to March, March. So about two months she was gone. And in that two months, her audience dropped by 40%. Now, say what you will about MSNBC. Rachel Maddow was their star. She got more viewers than anybody else. At one point, you know, she was the fourth watched uh, person out there. So behind, you know, Tucker Carlson, people like that. But she was number four. So on the left, she had a pretty decent sized audience. She, she did. That's true. And since she left, she saw her audience plummet. So none of the rotating guests they could bring in there could, could attract her audience and keep their attention. So now she's announced she's back, but only doing one night a week. She's going to be there on Mondays only, and they're going to keep rotating guests. They're going to change the name, I think, on the four days she's not there, the program, but it's still going to be the same time slot and everything else. So she's only there one night, and, and MSNBC apparently is in crisis, in crisis. But do you think that Jen Psaki, who's now going to go over to MSNBC, do you think that maybe she'll take over? Do you think that Jen Psaki can save MSNBC? I mean, she can't save Joe Biden's poll numbers despite her best efforts to lie to the American people. But now Jen Psaki's going to go over there, and I think it's their Hail Mary. They're hoping Jen Psaki can, can save the day. Now, Jen Psaki is popular. Popular in the sense that she's known, right? I mean, she's in front of the American public. Everyone knows who she is. She's way better known than any of the rotating guests that came in there for Rachel Maddow. So if Rachel Maddow does leave, which it looks like she's eventually going to do to pursue these other opportunities... MSNBC is desperate to find somebody who will get eyeballs on that dismal programming. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, now, back to the FBI and their job that is not to protect the American people or actually go after criminals and terrorists, domestic terrorists. Uh, they're too busy plotting and doing what the Democrats want. So, According to the Epic Times, there were 20 federal assets embedded at the Capitol on January 6th. That's what a court filing says. This is what we've noted for a long time. It's been dripping out. And this seems to confirm that. You had this group called the Oath Keepers. I don't know too much about the Oath Keepers. I don't matter. I don't, I don't really care much. You know, I think they're called some far-right organization, whatever. But the point is the Oath Keepers were present on January 6th. And we come to find out in this court filing, 
that they had been monitored and recorded prior to January 6th. Now, the Oath Keepers didn't have any information going back and forth, no channels of communication that were planning any kind of insurrection, no violence whatsoever. So the FBI, despite having evidence, I mean, it's just like they did with Donald Trump, right? They, they get these, make these false allegations, go after these FISA warrants to spy on, you know, Trump and his people. Well, the FBI has been weaponized again on January 6th. So this group of the Oath Keepers was being spied on, monitored prior to January 6th, even though the FBI didn't have any evidence that the group had any plan, intention, design, or scheme to specifically enter the Capitol building on January 6th. So why were they being monitored? Isn't this odd? Isn't this a violation of Americans' constitutional rights? Yes, it is. But anyway, the de- defendants here, the, I mean, their lawyers, the Oath Keepers that are being prosecuted, well, they found this in the discovery process, right? So when you're doing this court case, you have a discovery period where you have to exchange, you know, evidence between the prosecution and the defendant. And so the prosecutors turned over their documentation, and that's what they discovered. So why was the FBI monitoring these people? Now, they were charged with conspiring to enter the Capitol on January 6th to prevent the certification of the Electoral College votes. Now, that's not even a possibility. You can't prevent whatever. I mean, here's the thing. This is what I've been saying for a long time. The protesters weren't scheming to prevent certification. It's the Democrats who were scheming to prevent debate about, to to, to prevent that process from happening, to reveal all the voter fraud that took place. Because they were terrified of the American people learning what what we're learning more and more about every day, which is what they did in 2020. Um... And I wanted to talk about this Hunter Biden story with you as well for a second. So I'm seeing a little bit of information coming out now. The Washington Post even is even reporting the story as well. And that is this. So if you remember the Hunter Biden laptop, right, it was dropped off at a Delaware computer repair shop. And the owner of that place was John Paul Mac Isaac. He owned the computer repair shop. And... He is uh, he is saying that there are reports out there saying that there's more information on this laptop that's damning, that's forthcoming, even beyond what already exists. And the Washington Post has seized upon this story, which is to say that there are a lot of hard drives circulating out there, right? John Paul MacIsaac gave some to the FBI, to other people. I mean, I think, I mean, there are a number of people out there that have them, including Giuliani. And so what Isaac is saying, which is very odd to me, I don't know if somebody got to him. We'll get into it a little bit more in a minute, but he's saying the experts uh, found that the data had been repeatedly, repeatedly accessed and copied by people other than Biden over nearly three years. And what they're starting to suggest is that these these hard drives are a mess from a forensic standpoint because they've been out there, they've been tampered with potentially. So they're trying to discredit what's actually on those hard drives. So one of these experts from the Washington Post, for example, compared the laptop, Biden's laptop, to a crime scene where detectives arrive only to find Big Mac wrappers dropped by police officers at the scene before they arrived, contaminating 
any viable viable evidence. So that's where I think this is going. First, they were saying it was Russian disinformation. The laptop wasn't real. Then they acknowledged it was real. Now they're trying to discredit. I think they're trying to prevent this from being submitted as evidence. I think that's their angle here. Because remember in that exchange with Gates, he asked the FBI's, what was it, the cyber, cyber security expert or something, the FBI, cyber chief. He asked the cyber chief where the laptop was being stored, Hunter Biden's actual physical laptop, the original. And the cyber chief said he didn't know. He said it was beyond his purview. And so what happens, I'm just asking, what happens if the FBI loses or can't procure or produce the original Hunter Biden laptop, and then these people make the argument that, hey, you can't submit this as evidence because it's contaminated. It's compromised. People could have doctored evidence. I mean, there's no way to... to, to so I think this is where they're going with this as, a, as, as their defense. There's another story I don't have time to get to today, but you know they're out there trying to attack and just basically take our eyes off of what Hunter Biden and Joe Biden did Hunter Biden being the bag man for Joe there with these compromised uh, uh, dealings with our foreign enemies. And they're trying to point to Jared Kushner as making a deal, some kind of business deal with the Saudi Arabians. So they're trying to push us over there now to say, oh, look, look, we might have corruption with a Trump. Always back to Trump. Anything to keep our eyes off of the real corruption that's taking place. It's another hoax to distract from Biden. Um. And these Democrats, I wanted to tell you about that AP story that I mentioned in the beginning about the body count uh, of the dead due to Democratic Party policies and their rhetoric. Well, the APs reported that 2021 was the deadliest year in U.S. history. Here we go. So uh, the agency this month quietly updated its provisional death tally. It showed... There were 3.465 million deaths last year, which is about 80,000 more than 2020's record-setting total. So 2021, 2020, we had more deaths than ever before, and then 2021, we surpassed that. And shockingly, the AP admits the coronavirus is not solely to blame. The crude death rate for cancer rose slightly. Rates continued to increase for diabetes, chronic liver disease, and stroke. So did drug overdose deaths, by the way. They continued to rise. Um, provisional data through October suggests the nation is on track to see at least 105,000 overdose, overdose deaths in 2021, up from 93,000 the year before. There was a particularly large jump in overdose deaths among 14 to 18-year-olds. Adolescent overdose deaths, death counts were fairly constant for most of the last decade, but jumped, doubled in 2020 to 954, and they're going to go up to, and they went up to 1,150 last year. Now, why would this happen? Shutdowns, misery, hopelessness, keeping kids out of school, doom and gloom, ruining their lives. All of this took place because of Democratic Party policies, and they don't care. They are going to lock us down again, by the way. I, I want to say this on the record because I like to come back and play these clips to show you how prophetic I, Drew Allen, can be. You know, Philadelphia is bringing back mask mandates. It looks like L.A. might follow suit as well. They're starting to lay the groundwork for another surge in coronavirus uh, fear porn. 
And of course, will it, will it shock anyone if they bring this back just like they did in 2020, just before the midterms? Because let's be honest, they're going to get shellacked and their only hope is cheating. And they need mail-in ballots. Without mail-in ballots, without that fear they can justify doing conducting elections the way we did in 2020, I mean, they're, 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 it's hopeless for them. It's hopeless for them. So don't think we're in the clear here. As you're enjoying your life, I mean, keep an eye on the ball. And honestly, people in Philadelphia, people in L.A., anybody who brings back these mass mandates, look, you only have yourself to blame if you comply. If we're going to keep doing this when they tell us to, it's never going to end. It's time to put the foot down, take their foot off of our necks and say enough is enough. There's way more of us than there are them. I mean, look at what's going on in China with their lockdowns. They've got, I forget, I mean, it was 38 million and now it's well beyond that, I think. They've locked down the entire Shanghai uh, city of Shanghai. you got people starving. They're taking people's pets and killing the pets. I mean, it's a monstrosity what's taking place. But there's over a billion people in China. I think there's about 2 million active duty Chinese in the military. And you've got 7 or 8 people, including Xi, who are actually the big head honchos of the Communist Party. So those people could rise up and do something, and there's nothing the government could do to stop them. They're outnumbered. I mean, the government and the, and the communist tyrants are. And it's the same thing in our country. So we need to get ready and prepare ourselves for that moment that is, I think, inevitable. Now, it's not going to happen in Florida because you've got DeSantis, but most of us, well, not most of us, but many, like me, I'm not so lucky. I'm in California. And that's a situation we need to prepare for. What are we going to do? Are we just going to comply again? Are we going to let them get away with this time and time again? I don't think so. So, I mean, if you're in Philadelphia... And these mass mandates, when they're implemented, when they come up, I mean, it's, it's coming days from now, I think. You're part of the problem if you put your mask on. If you're not wearing a mask now, and tomorrow the government tells you to put on a mask and you put it on, you're part of the problem. Small things we have to do. Um... You know, I wanted to say something hopeful here as well. I, I think that we're in the midst of a, a counter culture of our own, and it's come full circle. There are still many similarities if you go back to the 60s and 70s, that counterculture, which I was not alive for, but I understand it. You know, yeah, it was about rejecting, you know, the the, the morals and values of the, fif- of the 50s and that generation, but more importantly, it was really about Forcing the mainstream society to adopt the live and let live mentality. Let us do our thing. But they were also opposed to censorship. They were about free speech. They were opposed to the Vietnam War, for example, things like that. And that movement was reflected, of course, in the music of the times. Now, notably, nobody was singing in favor of the Vietnam War. Nobody was promoting in their music uh, censorship. But it represented and reflected the zeitgeist of the time. And we got Kid Rock now. We got this new Jewish rapper out of Brooklyn called BK who's come out against the uh, Joe Biden, the Biden regime. We got other people as well. Let's Go Brandon, a bunch of those songs. And there's not musicians out there. I don't hear them singing in favor of lockdowns. So this movement's on our side and it's growing and it's swelling. And the irony is 
that the movement of the 60s and 70s and early 70s, that counterculture movement was born because mainly the people involved were white, young, middle-class folks, but they had leisure because the economy in the 60s, they called it the magic economy. Things were roaring. And you know why it was roaring? Because Kennedy actually did across-the-board tax cuts. That's right, tax cuts. And then we got in the 70s and we had stagflation. And those counterculture individuals no longer had the leisure to protest anymore, to take up these social issues. In fact, many of them abandoned the very things that were like anti-family, anti-nuclear family. They ended up starting families of their own. And our counterculture movement is being born from the opposite, out of necessity and reality, not, not just reckless idealism and utopianism. We're suffering right now. It's out of necessity, inflation, gas prices. And so we're on the rise. We see what's happening and we're saying enough is enough. We have Disney. We have these creeps that are in our classrooms that are openly trying to convert your five-year-old to, a, to claim to be gay or choose their own pronoun or, you know, start taking puberty blockers. They want to take you, take the children away from their parents and make themselves that child's parents. I don't think so. We are reclaiming America right now. And this movement is just beginning. It's just getting started. And so it is an exciting time to be alive, but we've got to be involved. We've all got to get involved and play our part in this. But we want our country back. And it's been hijacked and stolen from us by a bunch of radical lunatics. The Democratic Party is not, there's nothing moderate about that party anymore. Our government is thoroughly corrupt. And we can't tolerate this anymore. We need to return to the Constitution. It's under attack every day. The First Amendment, the Second Amendment. I mean, Twitter, by the way, have you seen what kind of culture has been created in this country? Twitter because of uh, Elon Musk. You heard about that story, right? He bought a stake, a, 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 uh, he bought stock, and he's the largest individual shareholder at Twitter, and they offered him a, a position on the board and he ended up, ended up turning it down because if he'd accepted the board seat, they were going to tie his hands. They were going to prevent him from buying more than, you know, 13 13.9% of the stock options. They were going to prevent him from having a voice and really being influential. So he said, no thanks. So the guy could buy the company if he wants to. But nonetheless, the Twitter employees who are all a bunch of petty, pathetic, wimpy tyrants, they had to take a day off to deal with the stress. The stress involved because Elon Musk was now a part of Twitter, had bought shares. These people are anxious and upset because it's possible that Twitter could no longer censor free speech. What happened to the counterculture? Those people in the 60s and 70s, the people at, uh, at Berkeley, UC Berkeley, who were a part of the freedom of speech movement, who were demanding that their voices be heard. They wanted to be able to speak and, and organize at school, and now they want to keep conservative voices off their campuses. So here we are. Now we're fighting the counterculture movement in favor of the Constitution, in favor of freedom, in favor of, of natural, unalienable rights that the Democrats and the government believes don't exist anymore. So anyway, that's where we're going with this. Um... I'll be back with you hopefully hopefully tomorrow. We'll see what I can do. We'll see what I can do. Um, my new job is taking up quite a bit of my time. I'm happy to do it. 
but it's just made my, I've just got to rework my schedule, if you will, because things have changed, as you can imagine. But it's, uh, but it's an exciting time, and I'll keep you updated. But anyway, this is Drew Allen. God bless you all. Until next time.